Hello, and welcome to this episode of Burn Your Draft, the podcast exploring the Reed Senior thesis process and experience. I'm your host, Albert Corellis, and today we'll be talking with Reed psychology grad Ben Schwartz about his thesis on the effects of stress on athletics. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself? My name is Ben Schwartz. I am a psychology major from Los Angeles, California. Go Rams. What's the title of your thesis? Stress, Aggression, and Athletics, the Effects of Daily Hassles on High Aggression Athletics. I think that's what it's called. What do you think happens to athletes when they're stressed? Do you think they get better or do you think they get worse? I would imagine that there's like a bell curve, right? Like certain amount of stress is like motivating too much stress, you get terrible. Like that that's my guess. You're closer than most people because the existing literature about the effects of stress on sports is that it's bad. So basically there are a bunch of studies that prove that stress management interventions help and those set up another study that proved that basically what they did is they had these swimmers and they would make them perform what's called a Stroop task. It's, it's this really difficult psychological task where you have to, like, match colors to words in a weird way. It, like, it'll, it'll say green, but it'll be in blue, and you have to pick the color. You have to say blue because that's the color, but you might say green because that's the word. But, yeah, they gave these swimmers, they made them do a Stroop test, then they had them swim a race, and then day later they had him swim again and they also took like blood samples and they measured the time and they found that well the times were worse after the stroop task obviously and then they had a higher level of cortisol in their blood and cortisol is the stress hormone or one of them anyways and you know you know stress is such a broad term but because these studies found sort of the same general effect of performance gets worse with stress we can sort of say that yeah in this sense even though it is very broad Generally speaking, stress as sort of defined by things that induce cortisol, among other things. So like stress, big, messy, complicated. But yeah. at the very least, we can we can look at cortisol and say like this is at least related. But the, the, the problem with these studies is that they measured sports that don't require any sort of aggression. The four studies I looked at, there was a study which involved gymnastics. There was a study that involved a basketball free throw shooting contest. There was a study that involved a dart throwing contest, and there was there was the swim racing study. And dart throwing is dart throwing, super low energy. Basketball free throw shooting, a little more gymnastics, a little more, but it's also pretty subjective too, because you know there's very little, if any, objectivity in gymnastics. And then swim racing is high exertion, but it's not high aggression because like there's just no ill will. There's no anger, at least by and large, in swim racing. But there is anger in sports like football and combat sports like MMA and you know whatever and powerlifting, which is the sport that I studied and a sport that I used to do, those are aggressive. And why that's important is because aggression adds adrenaline and stress causes aggression. You have stress that causes adrenaline and then then you have stress that causes cortisol. So there was this theory called the theory of challenge and threat states, which basically says if you have a difficult task, you might perceive it as a challenge, which means you think you can do it and you get better at it, or a threat, which is you think you can't do it and you get worse at it. And the biological markers for these things, challenge state, adrenaline, threat state, cortisol. So the way I figured it is that maybe being aggressive from stress coupled with the aggression from taking part in aggressive activity gets you enough adrenaline to enter you in a challenge state and get you going into, you know, better performance for an aggressive activity that it wouldn't 
if you don't have the aggressive activity. If it's just if you're just like stressed, but you're not doing an activity that gives you enough adrenaline to get into that, you know, extra challenge state cycle. The hypothesis of your thesis is that if you're in a sport that requires aggression, stress can have a positive effect. Yes. Like it can take you into a challenge state instead of a threat state. Yes, that's correct. More specifically, you know, we wanted to look at different kinds of stress because we know there are general effects, but general stress measures didn't tell us anything. I wanted to break down, you know, maybe different kinds. So there was daily life stress was the specific kind, and it was broken down into things like relational stress, familial stress, work stress, just that kind of stuff. And basically the, the plan was we were going to measure people's stress levels in, in the broad sense and the specific sense. And we were going to measure people's performance levels. And we were going to see like, okay, in powerlifting, and we were going to see like, okay, these people were stronger with this kind of stress or weaker with this kind of stress. Now, there was a bit of a problem. I did get the general stress data, but the more specific operationalized stress data for like, you know, the different kinds of stress was incomplete. The questions required two answers per question, and Qualtrics was only able to collect one answer. So that data is missing. But what we did, we did, we did find, or I did find something, which is that the general data is inconclusive. And what that means is that it does not say that stress negatively affects performance in an aggressive context for powerlifters. What it says is that it's not necessarily so simple. What are like some of the kinds of stress that you can measure? You know, a lot of stress is self-report. They'd fill out a survey before we measure their lifting. So I basically had them fill out a couple surveys and one of them is called the hassles and uplift scale, which basically 53 questions. It's a bunch of daily life hassles. And basically they break it down stress from your work, stress from chores, stress from financial stress, these kinds of stress that you could break down and say the people who had high stress and were stressed about money got stronger, but the people who were highly stressed about their significant other did not get stronger. And, you know, you, you have to imagine it would you know, light up different areas and contribute differently to just, you know, how much aggression and adrenaline comes out in, you know, these kinds of contexts. So that is what I expected to happen. It did not happen because this is an undergraduate research thing, right? This is not doctorate, postdoctorate. In retrospect, this was kind of like the most I could have done is just prove that there's something out there for someone with more time and money to study. And I, I can really hang my hat on that because I, I feel like I did a successful job citing to background literature, connecting the data that I have to sort of endocrinology. Given all of this, I think it's definitely a worthy pilot study that some someone in a doctoral or postdoctoral program could pick up and just go nuts with. Okay, let's run it back a little bit. Psychology. How'd you get interested in psychology? Was this like your, your first choice major? No, like, it was not my first choice. Yeah. Oh, man. When I showed up at Reed, I my high school, I went to the very small private high school in... Studio City, California. I had a graduating class of like, I think 20. It was fairly easy for me. I expected Reed to be more difficult. I just couldn't really quantify how much more difficult. And when I showed up to Reed, it didn't help that I wanted to be a physics major. The intro professor for physics, it was his first year teaching intro. He had previously taught pretty much exclusively the upper division classes. And I was, I really struggled with it. And, you know, I think the only real reason I picked physics as a major, I didn't really know what I wanted to do back then. I picked physics because I had a cool physics teacher in high school. Yeah. I failed that class. That was really rough because I, I had always been like, you know, academically gifted. So trying to deal with like the first real academic failure in my life. And also just there was a lot of 
upheaval going on. It was the first time I'd I had lived in Los Angeles my whole life. So I was moving to a new city and I had to try to make all new friends and and I got really depressed. It made things really hard. I was, you know, really struggling and I think it's not uncommon for freshmen to struggle. Hume is one of those classes where it's like it's a class that's not really like a lot of the classes most people take in high school. It makes sense that people would struggle in the class and I was definitely one of those people and my conference leader just never really made an effort to understand that. I had genuinely forgotten that we had our last paper conference in like late April and he just sent me this scathing email about how I was rude and disrespectful and how I wasn't cut out for read and how I was never going to make it and how I was going to have a really like bad time if I kept at it. I finished the year on academic leave. They kicked me out. I went to Los Angeles Valley College, got straight A's and came back. But the whole time I was thinking about that email and I was like, you know what? I am going to prove him wrong. So you go back to LA, mm -hmm. you come back to Reed. You came into Reed doing physics. Yes. Is is psych something you found in LA? Is it something that you it's, like started doing once so you got back? I was Second semester, right after I failed, I needed to take all new classes. And I was talking to my mom, and she told me, try a psych class. And I was like, okay. So I, I it was really honestly at the uh, suggestion of my mom. And I was like, all right, cool. This is, this is cool. This is a lot cooler than any of the other classes I've taken here so far. I'm going to try this as my major. Yeah. So And it worked. You're it like, did, you're it like did this work. is working now. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, had I not failed physics, I would have never had to take all new classes. I would have never gone into the psych department. One of the things I've really learned from the thesis process for my time at Reed is that failure is only a failure if you don't find a way to do something about it. So we talked about the kind of findings of your thesis itself, but were there any things that you learned just from the process of doing a thesis, of like putting it together? Yeah, lessons about how I work, you know, with regards to my own productivity is that I either do nothing or I'm just like doing everything all in one big chunk because that's just how I work. I don't really take things in bite-sized pieces and that's okay. One of the things I learned not just from this, but just from, you know, hobbies, lifting weights and playing guitar is that if it works, it works. I remember when I was sitting down to first start writing my thesis, I was like, hey, wait a minute, shouldn't I be doing like one page per day and, you know, get it done that way? And I was just like, I, maybe, but then I started really getting into it. I was like, hey, wait a minute. That's just, no, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to commit to this and just vomit it all out in one go and then clean it up later. So I've definitely learned from this thesis process to accept my idiosyncrasies. Yeah, that's important. What was the process of working on your thesis like? Like, what was your day-to-day? -day? A lot of the time was me stewing in stress because I was like, I need, to, I need to do my thesis, I need to do my thesis. I was paralyzed by not doing it. And then sometimes at the last minute, sometimes just some random time, I would just vomit a bunch of stuff out, make this massive leap in progress, then nothing, 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 massive leap in progress. It was very hectic. And it was, you know, it was stressful. Yeah. But I mean, it's. I think it's going to be stressful no matter how you yeah, do it. You know, yeah, right? So. No, it's 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 always just like, what happens for me is I say, all right, I'm going to take this in bite-sized chunks, and then I do a little bite-sized chunk, and I'm like, okay, cool, I did my bite-sized chunk. Now I can take it easy for a little bit, 
and then I go too far with taking it easy, and then I yeah. just go back to my, you know, nothing to vomit to nothing to vomit strategy. So I do not do bite-sized chunks. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big guy. So how do you think your thesis will affect you moving forward? I mean, aside from like, you know, the sort of personal benefits of just building confidence and understanding that I yeah. can undertake big projects, I think like it is, you know, a psychophysiological thesis that I could sort of use as an extra something, something like graduate programs. In the distance, I am interested in doing either like a master's in sports therapy or maybe getting a PhD in exercise psychophysiology. That study has definitely led me to really understand a field that I think is cool and that I think would be a good field for me to go into for the purposes of like, you know, money and stuff like that. Because I'm a big guitar player. You know, my mom always tells me like, Ben, you know, you could join a band and just make money that way. But I don't want to do that because... I feel like if I have to make money off of guitar, if that has to be my source of income, then I'm not going to like it as much. With being a sports therapist or an exercise psychophysiologist, I enjoy doing that. It's not my favorite thing in the world, but I do enjoy it. It's, I think, the perfect balance of, like, not my favorite thing, but one of my favorite things, something that is an acceptable loss to the casualty of having to make yes, money to survive. Yes, but but the the baby of making music cannot no, be exposed not, to the that's, brutal that's, horrors of capitalism. That's 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 just that's just pure passion for yeah. And it's not just making music, it's also making musical instruments. I am actually going to be building a guitar from scratch with my dad. Do you have anything like lined up for after read yet, uh vis-a-vis like like psych things, or are you just keeping that open for yourself? Right now, I don't really have anything in that sort of a way. I might want to talk to the uh, life after read people to see if they have something that I can do. Yeah, hit up CLBR. CLBR yeah. is great. So we kind of talked about this already, but do you have any advice for new readies or mm -hmm. maybe like people who are about to start thesising? What do you wish you had known going into this whole mess? Okay, so, um, you know, I, I do have advice for read in general, especially for new readies. First and foremost, you know, one of the reasons I chose read was because of its small size and I wanted sort of close relationships with my like i wanted to know my professors one piece of advice i can give is take advantage of that go to your professor's office hours get to know them better especially because like life happens stress happens you might miss some work and what you don't want to have happen is for your professor to think that you don't care you want your professor to know that you're trying and that if you don't do work it's not because you don't want to it's because you can't Another thing is, you know, when I first came to read, there was a lot of conversation about the read bubble. Now there's not as much conversation about it, but it's, I think that kind of makes the read bubble a more pervasive thing. You know, one of the things I did a lot, even when I was a freshman, was get out into Portland, leave read, go into Portland. And there's a lot of cool stuff in Portland. Now, admittedly, it was a little easier for me because not only do I have a car up here, I do actually have some family up here and I was able to just like go and hang out or, you know, I would go out to like, you know, music stores or off-campus gyms and talk to people who have nothing to do with Reed just to like reconnect with larger humanity. Reed can be a fun place, but it also can be a very overwhelming It's so place. small, too. It is very small. Buy a bike. Like, like you can oh, go yeah. on Craigslist, get a bike for, like, 75 bucks or whatever. Yeah, like, no, such you don't best car, investment you will make. Find some way to get off campus, whether that's a car, a bike. Go downtown, stare at the river, walk down Woodstock and, like, get a coffee in a place get that a is tattoo. not the paradox. I've gotten a bunch of really yes. cool tattoos up here. Have some fun with it. And um, as far as thesis goes, find how you work best. 
what works for me might not work for you. What works for, you know, whoever might not work for you. So really think about how you tackle large projects the best. One thing that also really helped me is you can reach out to your thesis advisor and say, hey, could you could I get some like unofficial deadlines to have this section done by then and this section done by then? That might help you. There are, you know, two kinds of theses. There's the theses that you have to do and the ones that you get to do. I got lucky. I had a thesis that, you know, you get to do. I got to go out and read all these studies about stress and athletics and go out and measure palliatives. It was a very fun thesis, especially towards the end. Be a little open-minded. Maybe something cool will happen and learn to roll with things. And it will be a higher chance that you end up with a thesis that you get to do instead of one that you have to do. Do you have any, like final thoughts or, or shout outs you want to make to, to people who were important in your, in your read journey? Um, I mean, if I shouted out everyone who was important to my read journey, we would yeah. be here. We would double the length. You know, I, I've made a lot of really great friends here, met wonderful people, student body professors, you know, so I want to give a shout out to them. And also just like, I also want to give a shout out to the people who like I have, I had one of my friends, they, um, we were friends freshman year and they actually dropped out after freshman year. And I want to give a shout out to not just them, but all the people who like couldn't make it here at Reed because Reed's a tough place. And I just want to say like, you know, it's not your fault. You were fine. Reed's just really tough. Yeah. And it's a very specific type of thing that Reed's trying to make for you, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not looking for the academia experience Mm -hmm. that Reed's giving you, whether you're going to go into academia or not, that's not going to be conducive to everyone learning. Some people just, it doesn't work for some people. Yeah. I mean, same thing as earlier, like different strokes for different folks. No, exactly. I I think, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, I I think definitely freshman year was really miserable experience. It It was the worst time of my life so far, but I think it was worth it because I learned a lot about myself. I grew a lot as a person and I got to meet some really incredible people. So my final closing thought is that pain is temporary and glory is eternal. Thanks so much for being on the pod, Ben. Uh, Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Ben, for reminding us that not everyone works in the same way and that just because you're stressed, it doesn't mean you're doomed to fail. I hope you'll join us again to hear more from students and alumni about what it means to burn your draft. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, check out our Twitter and Facebook pages, and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Burn Your Draft is a production of Reed College and the Center for Life Beyond Reed, created jointly by students, alumni, and staff. Today's episode was produced, engineered, and hosted by me, Reed College student Albert Corellis. Our executive producer is Seth Paskin, class of 1990, with technical advising from Joe Janica. Our project manager is Nate Martin, staff member in class of 2016. Music by Jack Salvucci, class of 2020 and podcast art by alumni Henry Gotchlick and Lillian Pham. This podcast was made possible by a gift from Seth Paskin.